Welcome to Mysterious Goings On, the podcast about creativity, writing, and mystery. Every week, we talk about all kinds of great fiction and meet the people who write it. We also feature explorations about creativity in all walks of life. Your host, Alex Greenwood, will join you right after this. Kersey's writing combines hair-raising stories and vivid prose with colorful characters. His first novel, Soul Catcher, was published by St. Martin's Press. He's a former Washingtonian and self-described rainophobe, but now he lives on a sunny island in Southern California, where he's employed as a global PR manager for a Japanese company. Uh, he's a graduate of the University of Washington, Western Washington University, and the novel writing program at Stanford. And he's currently working on a third novel, but of course, we haven't even mentioned the novel we'll talk most about today, which is called Swimming with the Angels. Colin Kersey, welcome to Mysterious Goings On. Thank you, Alex. Good to be here. It is good to have you. We were chatting offline. You, you know, your day job is very similar to mine. We're both uh, PR marketing types. Right. Been doing it way too long, but <laughs> it still gets me up in the morning. I still find it challenging. And, you know, there are similarities with writing books because you're trying to tell a good story. I was just getting, you're so good. I was just getting ready to lead into that. Do you think that, and I also write books, is do you think that this is part and parcel? Uh, I often ask myself this. I say, did you get into PR because you are a struggling writer and you need to support yourself? Or or is it, did you get into PR because, you know, you like to tell stories? And uh, some, some days it's a different answer. Yeah, I think you're right. So a good bunch of it is about making money because I think it's a challenging ordeal to become an author and just live off the income from that. Some people do it and do it really well. And then a couple million of us, not quite as much, you know, <laughs> it can be a struggle. So the PR advertising that puts the bread on the table. It really does. And what I do love is when those moments happen in the career where you can actually put your, your creative muscles to work for a client or an initiative or whatever you're doing. So um, I, I think there's some joy in that. And that's wonderful. I, okay, I delved into your your backstory here. And I just have to, I have to say this, you know, and pardon the pun here, but you've managed to do an interesting thing with your books. You have two published books right now. And but what's interesting is they were published 25 years or so apart. So you've literally bookended <laughs> your your life with books and I know you're working on a third but I would just love to know because you had a great debut with, uh, with your first book Soul Catcher on St. Martin's what happened what did what, did you did you need to think about it a while what happened well it's a great question first of all I was so thrilled when Soul Catcher was published and everybody thought it was going to be a movie. And I was so excited. I was beginning my writing career. This was just going to take off and everything would be great. Unfortunately, it didn't become a movie. It got seen by some wonderful production companies, but they passed on it. And so I was working on swimming with the angels. But at that point, I could see the money was not going to be enough to sustain, you know, the living that I needed to put my daughter through school and so forth. So 
I turn back to marketing. Now, a bunch of stuff happens too, as we all know in life. It's not just smooth sailing all the time. And sometimes you got to buckle your chin strap and just put your head down and work. And that's really what happened to me. There were divorce, there were job changes, there was all the usual stuff. My family suffered um, a number of deaths. And uh, so it was tough. And on top of that, I discovered I had cancer at one point. I even started losing my voice. And as you can hear, I have a bit of a handicap. It's an essential tremor. And when you're in PR and you're supposed to be a spokesperson, it's not always the best thing to have a voice that sounds like a 100-year-old man. So anyway... I turned more and more to writing, but uh, fortunately, my career really started to get some traction. I got uh, eventually some good jobs where I was making pretty good money, got to travel not only the United States, but a lot of the world and work with some other people that were just really great people to meet and enjoyed working with them. And as you know, it can be a tiny client or it can be a large client. It's kind of the circumstances of that business. If they give you enough to give you a good story, it can really be a thrilling, fun place to work. So I enjoyed it. But in the back of my mind, there was always this, this need to write that book that I kind of had a glimpse of way back when and just hadn't had the muscle or the time to do it. So at one point, five or six years ago, I think it was, I discovered that Stanford had just started this online novel writing certificate program. And it was taught by professional authors. And I thought, well, this sounds like it could be fun. It wasn't too expensive and it was all online. We had people from Pakistan and Dubai and Norway and, all over attending these classes, but they, they all spoke good English, they all wrote well, and we criticized each other's work, and we really learned some things through the exercises and so forth that proved very helpful. For instance, one of the teachers at one point challenged us to write in a character's voice that wasn't a main character, wouldn't typically be, wouldn't be, you know, a spokesperson in the book. And I did that with this character, Valerie, that's in my book. And it just opened my eyes. I thought, wow, she needs a bigger role in this book. And that's what happened. And at that point, uh, really swimming with the angels became the novel it is today. And I don't think I talk nearly enough about the value of such a course. And if you can't do Stanford, there's there's a lot of very reputable courses out there for writers who who need, you know, and I've been writing for, for a long time, too. I, I think it would do me some good to look into something like that. You know what? One thing, though, just related to my own experience, and I wanted to relate this to you because I've I, I didn't know to do this, but your exercise, you talk about how you develop that character based on looking at it from her perspective and how it kind of helped. Uh, I, I do a series of, of mystery thrillers and about mm, three books in, I just did a little book of short stories, but each short story was from the perspective of a supporting character. That's brilliant. It, well, it, I just got bored one day, you know? 
but but you know what it did it did give me i think some real insight into not only those characters but how they looked at the main character believe it or not a lot of the fans of the series they say that's their favorite they love reading about everybody else except for the main guy great job Thank you. So let's talk about your great job, though, in between. I, I, one more question about the in-between time. If we'll call it, can we call it the in-between time for here? Did you do any any kind of like short stories or anything, or did you just like keep your head down, focused on the day job? I pretty much focused on the day job. Every now and then I would dig out this story and try to write a scene. And actually the opening scene got rewritten probably 50 times during that time. So I would drag it out and just kind of modify it, see where I could make it go. But I never quite had the time to just go after it and know that I could write a 300, 400 word novel or page novel without having to stop and get back to work. So I kept putting it aside, but it kept haunting me. I was never able to get it out. You know, it just it, it kept pushing around inside that my mind, moving furniture, you know, just being noisy. <laughs> I love that. I love that pushing furniture. Yeah, uh, I love that. L- leaving coffee cups out uh, with, with, with no coaster. It was. It wouldn't leave you be. Uh, uh, so I, I was reading, and you, you did finally nail that wonderful beginning of the book, though. My goodness, wow. I mean, you know, when he comes in and the the apron, the whole. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Tell us, though, if you would, if you would, please uh, tell us what's going on with Swimming with the Angels. What's happening in this book? Okay, so the book begins with a naive young man. He's newly married. He's the son of immigrants, and uh, he's having a, uh, a nice life, really lives in an expensive place in Southern California, Unfortunately, his wife, who is works for a large hedge fund, and she's a wire transfer expert, and she's got this little bit of a greedy uh, temperament. And her boss suggests to her that while she's looking at the screens on her monitors every day and millions and billions of dollars are going by, he suggests that maybe they could tap into that and steal $100 million dollars and no one would be the wiser. So she falls for this idea. Unfortunately, turns out that the money belonged to a Mexican drug cartel that was laundering their money. So the drug cartel is not real happy. They figure out where it was done and they come after her and her boss. And the next thing Gray knows, my main character, he's wounded, she's dead, and the $100 million is missing. An FBI agent tells him that there's not a chance he's going to remain alive unless he disappears for good, meaning that he's got to give up his identity, everything he owns, his bank account, driver's license, passport, you name it, because if they can track him They'll do it. They'll find him. And they'll not only want the money, but they'll want revenge and to make a message in case anybody else gets a stupid idea about stealing their money. So he's in some real jeopardy. Yeah. And he ends up somewhere, though. And I I know we're not recanting plot point by plot point, but can we just tease a little bit about where he ends up? 
Sure. So, you know, when I was a kid, my mother took me once to a trout farm. And I remember thinking at the time, well, if people were looking for Eden, you know, this, this would be kind of a cool place to start. So anyway, I kept that in the back of my mind. And uh, Gray isn't intentionally looking for a trout farm, but he's looking for any place that will pay him under the table and not need his ID or whatever. So he discovers through the internet, there is this little trout farm up in the state of Washington. He manages to drive there in a and a gardener's truck that he swapped his own pickup truck for so that he can't be followed easily. And uh, he gets to this place that's beautiful location up in the foothills of the Cascade Mountains. And it proves challenging, but on the other hand, it is the idyllic refuge that he had hoped to find. Unfortunately, what he doesn't realize, the farm has its own mysteries and spooky things going on. And he's gone from the frying pan into the fire and the cartel is still trying to hunt him down. Oh man, I, there's so much going on here. And this book really moves, by the way. And I'm not the only one who thinks that. You've got a very cinematic style. Would, have you? Could you trace that back to your first book? Uh, how, If you don't mind, how do you think your writing style has grown or changed since that first book? I think in some ways it's very similar. I uh, always try to write with this cinematic style. And I um, I had a teacher at Stanford call it ultra realism and really mm. put you into the story. So I start off with scenes that uh, I write as they're trying to grab you. They're very concretely written. There's You can feel and sense what's going on. But then there's also the emotions of the people involved, what's going on inside of them and so forth. I want you to identify with the characters because they're feeling joy or loss or grief or whatever it is. And I want you to experience that because it's what we all have in common. So when you mix that together with the you know, the sort of the concreteness of the words with the feel, hear, touch, it just, it really builds up into a nice story that grabs you, I think, not only grabs you, but leaves you with something when, when it's done. It's not like fast food. I try not to write a story that you can't remember what you read the next day. Right. Now, I don't know if I always succeed, but that's my goal is to have you literally thinking about it for a while. And in the case of Soul Catcher, it was funny because I had people contact me by email or letter afterwards and tell me the wind would come up outside and would scare the dickens out of them because it was part of the story. And it just, it scared them for a time until they got over it. <laughs> Do, you're... You've had considerably more contact with with nature uh, at great heights than than many. You actually scaled uh, Mount Rainier, didn't you? I did. I did a good deal of whitewater rafting and hiking and even climb Mount Rainier. It was one of those things, kind of a dares. Uh, one of the people I was working for in marketing said, uh, "Why don't you come with me and we'll." 
will climb Mount Rainier with this little group of eight or 10 guys. Well, he backed out. <laughs> I ended up, I met these other nine guys and 10 of us. You know, we did one practice routine where we went up and jumped in a crevasse and had to figure out how to climb out of there and so forth. And then a week or two later, we had to do the thing. So it involved uh, really what you would call a, a pretty major ordeal. We had to use crampons, of course, and cross uh, an ice bridge over a huge crevasse. At night, we were camped on the side of a glacier, huge thing just below us. And it, it's dark. You can see towns. It felt like 100 miles away, the glow of the lights and so forth. This because you're camped at 10,000 feet. So you're, you're way up there. And this is like one in the morning. And you can hear the ice racks breaking off behind you and tumbling down the side of the mountain. You don't know if you're going to be swept off the side of the mountain or crushed. So that part of it was pretty exciting. And then the next day, you're climbing. And the sun is beating down on this icy slope. And it's reflecting in your nostrils and your ears. And it's you're getting sunburned in places you never thought you needed to worry about. The roof of your mouth, you know, all these things. And you're being blasted by ice crystals because the wind is blowing up there. So we finally made it to 14,400 feet or whatever it is. And, uh, and we were just joyous, but you couldn't see anything because there was this cap on the top of the mountain. It was literally like midnight when we got up there. So I remember taking pictures, none of which turned out. You couldn't see anything. So we turned around, came down the mountain, lickety split. You're half sliding, half running, half, you know, it's no big deal at that point in time. Made it back down the mountain. and I look like a Sherpa guide, which is not easy for a red haired guy. Anyway, get down the mountain, feeling really good. The next day, my lips peeled off and my skin started to peel off. And I realized I was in some serious trouble. I got to a doctor. I had to take uh, penicillin and this cortisone cream. Literally, I was just fried. And, and I was coated with sunscreen. So it wasn't like I didn't prepare. But it's just, as I said, it's so intense, the sun shining on the icy slope that it just burns the crap out of you. Listeners, I, uh, Colin can see me, my mouth's just hanging open there. Oh, you know, I'd always kind of entertain the notion that maybe someday I would like to do something like that. But uh, I think that, uh, yeah, that in my advancing years, I think I'm done, but uh Oh my gosh. It was what's tougher though, scaling Mount Rainier or writing getting that book finished? Well, you know, they both have their challenges. I will say this, in a way they're related, because I think what I learned on scaling Mount Rainier is that if you have the right attitude, you can do anything. So it's it's tough, but you can do anything. And writing a book is the same kind of thing. You just have to have the right attitude. Wouldn't you agree? I do. I, somebody asked me the other day, could you give me some advice? It was a, somebody who's thinking about writing. I said, well, I, attitude is not exactly what I led with. I just said, well, here's my biggest piece of advice. Uh, two things, put your butt in the seat and write. 
don't talk about how I want to write a book. Don't, you know, don't say someday I'm going to write a book. Let me tell you about my book. Write your book. I'll be happy to read it. But just having the discipline to sit in the chair every day. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. It's uh, That's the hardest part. I've, I've known a lot of authors. I've also known a lot of wannabe authors. And the difference is the one has discipline and the other doesn't. Yeah. It's all talk and no action. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, it, I, you know, it's sitting in the coffee shop and, and, and pack it away on your, in your laptop is fun and all. And we've all, well, I've done it, but it's a, but it's, but it gets down to it. You've got to put away the pages. You've got to, as we talked about initially in this conversation, we got to tell the story. Um, so uh, I wanted to, I wanted to know though, uh, in general, I think you kind of gave your best advice for new writers. Cause we do have a lot of wannabe writers or, starting writers and, and of course a good a fair amount of people who have written but what what do you think about the genre though um and I, of course i don't think you're you're telling anybody to write to the genre but you're in a suspense thriller genre where do you see the genre going and where do you see your books fitting into it so i think thrillers are just the most fun thing there is to write because uh, if you've got something that wants to hunt you, eat you, you know, hurt you, kill you, whatever, that's a pretty fun way to hook somebody into writing your story. And there's a, a momentum built into it that you, you have to sustain, of course, but you start off with some real excitement versus many books today, I think, you know, it's kind of a, uh, it's it's a window in time. You don't know where it's going to go, especially because maybe the writer didn't even know where it was going to go initially. It's just a picture of a day or a week or a month or a year or something in a life. And it can be very literary and very, very good versus a thriller can take place in an hour or a day or a week or whatever. But it's it's always compressed by the amount of energy that's flowing through it. And something is going to catch up with you. <laughs> you better be looking behind you and running faster than it is. So that's pretty much what I do is I try to take emotional ingredients like loss and betrayal and grief and so forth, things that we can all relate to, and then add this authentic description that we talked about with a story that I usually... I find them in newspapers or whatever. I mean, they're they're all around us. Every week I hear about somebody who's ripped off, if not a hundred million, maybe even a billion dollars, you know, or destroyed the Bitcoin marketplace or whatever. It's it's out there. And then of course cartels, oh my lord. Sure. You know, they're they're always killing each other or killing someone else. And so in fact, I, my one character in Swimming with the Angels is a woman, and she was actually modeled after a character in who was part of the Sinaloa cartel. She was the head of their Antrax division, and she 
liked to claim that she was the Kardashian of the Sinaloa cartel, and she wore all this makeup and I guess looked pretty hot, but she didn't last that long. She died in a hell of bullets some years back. But anyway, so I, I based a character kind of on that, that here was a woman who literally was in charge of this vicious division of the cartel. So I don't know if I answered your question, but no, I love that. I love that, though. I think you're right. I, I think the the, pa the pacing, if you break down th thrillers, the suspense, the pacing is huge. And you, 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 the readers do expect that. And they do also, I think what you're also talking about here, and don't leave put words in your mouth, but I, what I think I heard was uh, you look to the headlines for to supply some of that verisimilitude that connects the reader to the action. That's right. So they can kind of go, oh, I think I read about this or, you know, this feels authentic. It doesn't feel like just made up out of nothing. So yeah. even if you're dealing with a character on Mars, you still can relate it to what goes on in our lives and like the Martian and so forth, which was, uh, you know, he was in jeopardy, he was all by himself. You're automatically attracted to this character because... Oh, yeah. It's him against the the universe, you know. Because you, I don't know about you, but when I read that book, I mean, I was pretending I was uh, Watney. You know, I how would I do this? Now, obviously, I was not near. I'm not an astronaut. And I'm not a scientist, so I'm not that smart. But I would have died. But I still <laughs> reading it, thinking, Gosh, how can I do this? You know? Yeah. So uh, you know, that's what a good thriller does. I think it puts you in their their clothes. You yeah. got figure out how would I get through this and uh, it might scare you. So. Yeah. Well, I hope it does, you know, so tell me if you do, if you don't mind just a little bit, if you could about this, this third book you're working on, if you care to. Sure. Well, so my character gray is going to survive this book and he and the seeing eye dog of one of the other characters who happens to be blind are going to take off across America. He's a truck driver now living under another alias than the one he had before. The cartel is still looking for him, but because he and the dog stumble on something, now he's gonna have the CIA, Homeland Security, and the Chinese Secret Service also hunting for him. Okay. So yeah, he's got a few things to deal with. <laughs> you know that's the thing uh so you so this is we're, we're looking towards series here i think and that's the thing too is like people you know i've done eight in mine uh series and i have a frenzy laugh they say well what you know what is he going to stumble into next a nuclear war i mean my gosh you know but there's just trouble has to stick to your lead i think right yeah and if you find a good character i mean i never set out to write a series but if you find a good character, and I think Gray uh, stands out, he's a naive young man with a good heart. So he has some flaws for sure, but he doesn't give up. He could be bitter. He's got a lot of things working against him, but he, he keeps trying to overcome them. Meanwhile, he has an eye for beauty. He's a photographer, even when he has a camera that doesn't have film in it. And he's a bit of a sensualist and a romantic, but he's also hardworking. So I, I think he's a good character. We'll see if I can uh, 
you know, develop this book the way I want to. And maybe he'll even survive this one as well. <laughs> maybe if he's lucky. Well, when that book is ready, hope you'll come back and talk to us. Uh, uh, to. Colin Kersey, he's the author of Soul Catcher, which came out uh, in the 90s. And he, as he mentioned, he took a little break. Life happens. As the late, great John Lennon said, life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. And We've all been there, right? But the new book or the newer book is Swimming with the Angels. You can find them all on Amazon and the usual suspects. Colin, if they wanted to uh, go to your website, where is that? So that's colincursey.com. And that's C-O-L-I-N-K-E-R-S-E-Y. And don't worry about jumping off the treadmill or, or screeching the car to a halt in the middle of the freeway. It'll all be in your show notes. You don't have to go scribbling it down now, though. But I think you ought to. And uh, I want to tell you something right now. I like these books. I think I think that Colin's an exciting author. I think you're going to have a lot of fun with these. If, sir, I, I appreciate you being here. I'll give you the last word. Well, it's just been really a pleasure. I appreciate people like you and, and also readers because um, I think books are a fantastic source of information. They teach us empathy, how to see, understand other people that we might not otherwise understand. I think that's critical today. I think we need to be able to look around and identify that people are not so different than ourselves. We're all made from basically the same cloth, might be different colors, but it's all the same cloth with the same emotions and ambitions and so forth. And there's one other thing I'll say, and this is, I don't mean to end on a down note, but I knew so many people growing up in the Northwest, but even after I moved to California that committed suicide. So we need to keep our eyes out for people that, I, this is how I write partially too. I'm hyper aware of what's going on underneath the surface. And I think readers have, a, as I said, they have an ability to empathize with people that they otherwise might not know. But second of all, I, I, I think we all need to look around and make sure that the person sitting to our right or left is doing okay. And just all it takes is a word of encouragement to make somebody's day, week, month, so that's my last word. Oh, bless you. And I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I've said this before, and it's not, it's hardly an original thought, but we live in the most connected world that humanity has ever known. But we seem to be also building uh, barriers between ourselves. And I, I love what you just said. It is not hard, even if you're just in line at the grocery store to take an interest in your fellow human being and, 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 and show a kindness. And I think, as you said, sometimes showing a kindness is just showing some interest in looking at them and viewing them as a person being seen is huge. Exactly. Yep. Well said. Colin Kersey. I've enjoyed this so much, sir. You got to come back when the new book comes out. Is that a deal? Would love to, Alex. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Michelle Stinson Ross, a longtime listener, occasional guest, and definite friend of this podcast. I am also the co founder of Mindful Appy. I'm here today to ask for your help. Mindful Appy is about to launch an academic, peer reviewed study to validate how we measure emotion 
with emoji. We need the diverse group of 500 participants that are willing to engage with us over the course of five days. If you're interested in participating in the study and helping us by sharing your feelings for science, please visit mindfulappy.com. That's mindful, A-P-P-Y.com. Thanks for joining us on Mysterious Goings On. Be sure to follow Mysterious Goings On wherever you get your podcast and never miss an episode. Don't forget, you can get the links to books and other things mentioned on the show at mgopod.com. Until next time, keep reading. Keep reading.